Thousands of years ago, four young men were thrust into a godless culture they called Babylon. Yet amid such circumstances, they were elevated, they thrived, and even impacted an entire nation without ever compromising their character or their devotion to God. Today, we live in our own type of Babylon, with its own chaos, facing our own temptations. But what can the lives of those four young men teach us about impacting our world without compromise? Let's discover how to hold on to our faith while thriving in Babylon. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like your whole life was hijacked and your future, and you went from building it to just surviving what just happened? We've had many seasons like that, and I remember the season that we were where we wanted to be. We were living and doing what God had created us to do, and then it all changed really, really fast. We didn't see it coming. It was not a part of our life plan, <laughs> but it was real. And in just a few months, we left everything we knew and moved to a new place. This new place was not like anything where we had been. The culture was so different. We had new jobs and I was struggling with my faith. To be truthful, I was devastated and I was mad at God. How could he have let this happen? We didn't do anything wrong, we didn't deserve it. But here we were, this was our life and the very best thing that we could do is just deal with the new reality that it is. For us, that was a season of Babylon where we didn't know what was going on, but we knew everything had changed. We all have seasons of Babylon. We all face Babylon in different ways. Babylon can be all different things like a job, a relationship, school, Whatever Babylon is, it isn't good. And now, Sir Babylon started, it was an ancient city. It was a place of power. It doesn't exist today. But what we know is Babylon is the symbol, what the idea of Babylon is. And I love what Bob Marley, how he defined it. He wrote a song about Babylon, and he says this. He says, Babylon, wrong is what we call Babylon. Wrong things. That is what Babylon is to me. I could not, I could have been born in England. I could have been born in America. It makes no difference. But where I was born, doesn't matter where I was born, there's Babylon everywhere. There's Babylon everywhere. Babylon is anyone or anything who tempts you to be who you're not, causes you to compromise your faith, or distracts you from being who God created you to be. The question is, how do we thrive in Babylon? That's what this is about. Of course, you have to first survive. Surviving is important, but God has so much more for you than just surviving. There really is a thriving that happens in Babylon. And when we look into the Bible, and we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Daniel, in the Old Testament world of Daniel, and yet it will absolutely apply to our world today because each one of us has Babylon and faces Babylon in our lives. And you already have, 
Maybe you're doing it right now. And if you haven't yet, you can be prepared because it does happen to everyone. So let's dig in. We're going to start this whole idea of how do we thrive when we're facing some of the hardest times in our life, and you will face the hardest times in your life. Walking with Jesus, being a Christian, a Christ follower, is not living with rose-colored glasses on. It's not everything is perfect. This isn't perfect life. It's real life. In fact, the longer you walk with God, you realize that it is real. This book, this Bible, the New Testament, is about how to survive and thrive in the toughest of times. It isn't about making sure everything is just right. It is about being right with God, and he'll work out the rest in your life because he is faithful. He is good. So as we dive into Daniel, we're going to find out how did Daniel thrive in Babylon. We have to set the scene first. So Daniel lived about six centuries before Jesus was born, and it was around this time that construction began on the Acropolis in Athens. The Mayan civilization was flourishing in Mexico. Aesop wrote his fables. Confucius and Buddha were alive. The Greek art really began to excel, and the Greeks introduced the olive tree to Italy which really makes me happy because I married an Italian and we really love Italian food and olive oil. So I think that was a pretty good day. Now, this is where we start. Let's dive in and start the story in chapter one, verse one. I can't see, so let's put my glasses on. Here we go. Now, we're gonna start right in the middle of the action. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. So we are starting actually in the middle of the action, not just at the beginning. Because what you need to understand about what's happening in Daniel's world right now is that you've got Jerusalem and you've got Judah right in the middle between two warring world powers. You've got Persia and Babylonia on one side. On the other side of Israel, you have Egypt. And what happened is that Pharaoh had invaded Babylon. And Pharaoh is the one who put Jehoiakim in the place. God did not raise him up. Pharaoh put him there. And now Judah was loyal to Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh invaded Babylon. And then the young prince Nebuchadnezzar was like, heck no. And took all, gathered all of his forces. And he pushed back the Egyptian army all the way to Sinai. Then whether he did it on the way or the way back, he was like, while I'm here, I'm going to take your stuff. I'm going to take Jerusalem, I'm going to besiege it, and I'm going to make it a part of my empire now. You come at me, I come at you and take more. That's what was happening and happened over and over again in the ancient world. And you know, it's so frustrating about Babylon, about facing Babylon, about dealing with the things that Babylon brings. It is that sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's other people's choices, other people's decisions that impact your life in such a way that you feel like it's been hijacked. I love the um, 
Bible project definition of Babylon. Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinition of good and evil. So what happened is now we see that Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem. And the next thing in verse 3, we see what else he takes. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So Nebuchadnezzar not only ransacked Jerusalem, and he didn't just take things from the temple in the city, but he took the best and the brightest. He took these boys were 13 to 17 years old. And they were Israel's future. They were Judah's future. He stole the future of them. He said, now your future is mine. Now you will serve me. And it was the way they indoctrinated. You will um, learn our language, learn what we believe. You will look like us. You will speak like us. You will eat from my table. Nebuchadnezzar said, I am your new God. I am your new God. And it said, after three years, they either passed the test or they were killed. So these boys who were living in Babylon, taken captive, already lost their parents. They lost their friends. And now they were facing a life and death situation. And yet in here, we see Daniel rise up and begin to thrive in Babylon. And it started in the next verse. Actually, verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. They not only took, they only took them to a new country. Said, you're going to look like us, talk like us, think like us but your names will even change. You will have new names because they will be Babylonian names. And when you look at this, this is the identity theft that the world does. This is the identity theft of, oh, let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you could be. You will live here now. But the boys, these, three, these boys, these young men who ended up bringing such influence and beauty and glory to God in their place of captivity, these young men, their names were powerful. What were their names? Their names were Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which is Bel's prince. It was the name of the demon god Marduk. Hananiah is beloved of God. Hananiah, beloved of God. To Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god. Mishael, who is this god? His name meant, I am going to reflect God to you. Let me show you who God is. This is his identity. And they said, no, it's going to change it to be illumined by the sun God. 
is going to be not just who is that was Mishael, who is as God, but Meshach is who is like Shaq, who is like Venus. Instead of gazing upon the beauty of Yahweh, he said, well, you need to, you're going to direct people to the God of love, false God of love. And Azariah, the Lord is my help to Abednego, servant of Nego, which means corrupt. I love Azariah's name. The Lord is my help. What a great name to have. How many of you wish that was your name? Because I need that all the time. The Lord is my help. That is my life. He does help me out. He is amazing. And yet he took their names. But this is what we see very clearly with Daniel is that he said, you can change how I look. You can change the language that I speak. You can, you can teach me what you believe and I will learn all of it. But you don't get to tell me who I worship. And you can call me by a different name, but I know who I am. We see that Daniel thrived in Babylon because he knew who he was. He knew what he, who he worshipped. And he knew what he believed. We see him step up in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord, my king, who has signed your food and drink. Why? Why should you be seen? Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would rather have, he's going to have my head because of you. But Daniel asked. He asked. He knew who he was. He knew who he worshiped because he didn't ask about the food because he didn't like the food that was coming from the king's table. That was the best food that you could get there. He was asking because he knew that that food was being offered to idols. It was a part of their worship. And it was a part of that thing where he said, listen, I'm not going to compromise my faith and I know who I am. You can change my name, but I get to choose who I worship. And I know who that is. Because God is my judge, my name, the identity that he is. He would not bow to idolatry. And back in those days, it was pretty easy to recognize idolatry, right? They had stone idols, all these different places. It's a little trickier these days, but they still exist because idols are anything that you give more power to than God. That's what an idol is. Idol is something that you give your your admiration, you give your love, you give your focus, you give your attention to, you look to it to be, to provide, to be what you need. These days and in our Babylon culture, the idols that we end up serving on purpose, mostly by accident, is love, relationship, if I could just have a relationship, if I could be in a relationship, if our relationship would be good, then everything would be okay. Maybe it's money. Money, money you can get everything you need from money. It'll give you power until the money's gone, and then you have no power. Relationships are the same way. But Daniel knew who he was, who he worshipped, and what he believed. Colossians 2.16 says this. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See it. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. God is the only one who can tell you who you are. He's the only one who can show you what to believe out of who you are. When you worship a false god, when you place your life on a false premise and it falls through, what you'll find is that God is there. Because God is real whether you agree with him or not. That I, one of the things that I found is that, yes, we were taken to a place that I would say was Babylon. And what I discovered in that place was that it didn't matter where I was. Who I was didn't depend on where I was. It depended on who God said I was. And that I could serve there just with full-hearted assurance that God would meet me and give me what I need in that place, just like he did in the place that I thought was more like paradise. If you're in a season of Babylon, if you're facing, um, and maybe it's at school, you go every day and you go, I don't know how to do this. I don't know who am I supposed to be? God knows. He created you. The designer knows why he designed you. He knows what he made you to do. Get with God. And if you don't know what you believe, dig in. Because that's what all of this is. And you know what? You can't live what you believe if you don't know what it is. And it's good news. It's good news. You are a beloved son and daughter of God. And he has done for you what you could not do for yourself. We see Daniel that, yes, he knew who he was, who he worshipped, and what he believed. And he would not compromise his faith. And he set boundaries. He said, listen, I'm going to step out. I don't want to eat this food. And I'm going to say, listen, I would rather eat vegetables and water, not because the meat and wine were bad, but because they were, it's about worship. And he said, I'm going to trust God to sustain me. If you are in your life and you're here and you're trusting anything else to sustain you except for God, anything else will be taken away. Because life works like that. But when that does happen, I want to encourage you to dig into your identity and to set boundaries around your faith. And how does he do that? He said, I'm not going to eat the meat of the idols. And he also, we find out in chapter six that he prayed three times a day. He prayed morning, noon, and night, no matter what. And he set that boundary up for whose benefit? God's? God's good. No, for his. He said, I am in this place where everybody else does not believe you, and they're saying that I have to believe the way they do and act the way they do, but God, you are the one who sets my identity, so I'm going to pray with you. When I was in that place of Babylon, it was more important than ever to lean in to time with God. Do you need boundaries around your faith? Have you compromised your faith? Have you compromised because somebody else says, oh, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't be that? Or why would you do that? Have you compromised? Have you been tempted to do that? Because God says, I know who you are and I'll give you the power to resist that temptation. But let's set boundaries around it. And I want to challenge you, if you set a boundary, put it in your calendar. Because that's where everything actually gets done. Put it, this is when I'm going to meet with God. This is when I'm going to get in the word. This is when it's going to happen. If you put God first, then being who he's called you to be, where he's put you, 
is going to be the difference between surviving to thriving. This is what we see from Daniel. The next thing that we see is that he not only set boundaries around his faith. But he refused. He refused to be distracted from who God had called him to be, even when he was faced with opposition and death. Verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food. Treat your servants in accordance to what you see. What I love about Daniel here is that he didn't force it. He didn't say, this is who I am and this is what I, I have the right to do this. He's like, I got no rights. I'm going to ask. And what do we, we see God gave him favor. He stepped out in faith. You know it takes more faith in your life to be humble than it does to be proud. It takes more faith in your life to not demand your rights, but to serve God where you are with kindness, with wisdom. He asked permission, and then he said, test it. Just test God and see. And so he did. So he agreed to this and tested them for, for 10 days, verse 14. Verse 15 says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Then, I know that in my life, there is the challenge to be distracted. There is the frustration that you're in a place where you didn't ask to be, and yet you know God is with you. Why? There's a verse, it's Hebrews 13, 5, and it says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Because I have found in every situation of my life, when I have found myself in a place where I did not expect to be, and I felt like God had abandoned me to that place, I discovered that he goes with me to that place. God is with you even if you're in the darkest time of your life. He is the one who can give you what you need to stand up against opposition. Because here's the thing. If you are doing what's right and you are um, setting boundaries to keep your focus on God and you are living his ways instead of the ways of the world around you, you will face opposition. People will not like you. They'll try to sabotage you. They'll get you to try to join them and then they'll threaten or reject you. But I want to challenge you to choose to grow and pursue God's excellence in your life. Pursue God. Use, take all the gifts that he's given and say, God, you can use them here in this place that I don't want to be. 
You can use them here. You can use me here for your purposes, no matter if I am persecuted. And you get to read in the next few weeks, you will see that Daniel absolutely is persecuted. He absolutely has to face death. But because he knew who he was, he knew what he worshiped, and he knew what he believed. He refused to compromise his faith, and he set boundaries around it. What boundaries do you need in your life? What boundaries do you need to stay healthy within the madness that is around you? He set those boundaries, and then he focused on the purpose that God had given him in that place, which was the last place that he wanted to be. I remember when I got a job because we needed money. (laughs) And I was working in this uh, retail place, and it wasn't working there for very long, um, but I was only there for about a month, and my manager came and talked to me, and she said, Cindy, um, I need to know if you took $8 out of the register. And I said, I did not. And she said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. Because my identity, in Christ, I didn't tell her this, <laughs> I'm telling you this. My identity in Christ helps me know that my culture does not impact my character. My character impacts the culture. And my character is that I don't steal because I know who I am. I am a daughter of God and I don't have to. He'll provide for me. And so she said, are you sure? I'm sure. Are you sure you're sure? I'm like, I am really, really sure. And she said, okay. And she didn't talk to me. It was probably about two weeks later that I realized, well, I found out that it was another assistant manager who had been stealing money who was trying to blame it on me. It started with $8, but then they found out it was a lot more. And I watched her. The police come and take her out of that store. When you know who you are, you get to grow in your character. And the character is the very essence of who you are. It's who God has created you. And when you stand true to that, you will be persecuted because it will make people mad. Don't give in to the pressure to be somebody that you're not because you're not like anybody else. Pastor Corey talked about how unique you are. You are absolutely unique. Don't try to be like them. Stand up. Do what is right. 1 Peter 3, 12 through 19 says this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better... If it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. What we learn from Daniel 
how to thrive as we begin this series is that he knew who he was, he knew who he worshiped, and he knew what he believed. He would not compromise his faith, and he set boundaries around it. And he refused to be distracted, even with faced with opposition and death, because he knew that God could use him in that place. And I saw God use me in that place. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, if you invite God into that place, you will discover he has a purpose for you there. Do you know that you have a purpose? Do you know that your life isn't random? Do you know that God is not surprised at the things that hijack your life and make you feel like maybe God isn't even real? Because everything has changed so much. Do you know that he knows where you are? That he knows that where you are doesn't define who you are. He does. And all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is reach out. All you have to do is spend some time in worship. Spend some time in the word and figure out who you are. Maybe you know you're a child of God and you're new here. And the last couple of weeks you're like, yes, my identity is in Christ. But you don't know who you worship because you just started worshiping God. It's an all new thing. Uh, Tim Keller says this about worship. His definition of worship is this. He says, idols control us since we feel like we must have them or life is meaningless. So one of the ways that you can recognize idols in your life is to ask yourself this question. If I don't have this, is my life meaningless? Because where you're putting all your meaning in means that you are giving that thing more power than you're giving God. What makes you miserable sometimes is an idol in your life. And you know, I remember when we were hijacked and moved to the unknown place that I grieved. I grieved the loss of my friends, but I also grieved the loss of the dream of what I thought God had for my life. I thought he had messed up because surely it wouldn't be like this, right? No, God's not surprised. He knows And it has been a part of my journey that has helped my character develop and has helped me be strong when others have brought opposition. You know, there are three ways that you get to Babylon. The first one is that you're born there. You're born in Babylon. It's all you know. You do dress like them. You do talk like them. You think like them. You worship like them because that is who you are. I know that I came to God being born in Babylon because I was born in a counterfeit religious system. Yes, they said the name of Jesus. Yes, they said this is what you do, but it was a religion and you have to do these things to get to God. You have to do this, this, and this. You need to pray three times a day so you can please God. If you're born in Babylon, and maybe today you're like, I don't know how to do any of this. It all starts with an invitation from Jesus. Because religion says you have to do for God so that God will be pleased. But Jesus said, I did for you because God is already pleased. 
and he already loves you, but you're separated from him. I'm going to take what separates you so that you don't have to be anymore. And when you're born in Babylon, it's not about the outward. It's about Babylon is inside. Babylon, the word comes from Babel, confusion. And if you have confusion and anxiety on the inside, Jesus says, let me come in because I usher in the God of peace into your life. So today, if you were born in Babylon and you don't know anything else, I want to tell you that Jesus has more for you than just a new citizenship. He's got new birth. You get a new identity in God through Jesus. It is good news because he knows who you are and who he created you to be. And then he says, I made it happen for you. All you have to do is put your trust in me. Say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Help me get rid of all the false gods because they're not doing anything for me anyway. The other way that you come to Babylon is that you're taken captive. Somebody gets you, drags you there against your will. Maybe some of you here today, you were, grew up in church. You know Jesus. At one point, you surrendered your life to him, but you were taken captive, maybe by addiction, maybe by a relationship. Maybe you just decided it wasn't working. I can't be good enough for God. Good news, you don't have to be good enough for God. He's good enough for you. He loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. He was buried for three days and rose to new life. And it's never too late to step in to who God created you to be and live the life he made for you. The third way is that you choose to live in Babylon. And for some of you, you made that choice. You said, I'd rather live the world's way. I'm gonna go for it. And then you found out how empty it is, how horrible it is because it's just not working. You keep hoping that if you make enough money, if you have enough power, maybe if you make all the right grades, if you get that relationship that this hole in your heart, this space in you that, that you just can't fill, it's just not filling, it's just not working for you because it's not real. And the real God who sent the real Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to make you real. I'll fill that space in your heart and then I'll teach you who you are. Worship will become the joy and embrace of your life. And you can walk in the character and purpose of who I've created you to be changing other people's life. It's thriving in Babylon. If you're in any of those places, I want you to know that right now, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking because he's not gonna push his way in. He's not gonna lean his shoulder in and make you embrace the gift of his love, the gift of salvation, the gift of freedom from Babylon to get the Babylon on the outside and God on the inside. If that's you, I want any three of those, any of those, that's you. I want to give you an opportunity to put God on the throne of your life because that's the only way to thrive where you are. Will you close your eyes? Will everyone close your eyes for a moment? Bow your heads. It's a simple prayer. Jesus did all the work and it's a simple, you just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I invite you in. I need your power to help me become who you created me to be. I'm tired of living everybody else's purpose. I want to 
live your purpose for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that, I want to encourage you to pull your phone out and text the phrase Cape Yes to 94000. And when you do that, we're going to send you some videos and some resources to help you grow. If you need extra prayer, we have the prayer room. But more than that, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this next week to ask God, am I compromising my faith anywhere and why? Do you need to set boundaries around your relationship with God so you can thrive instead of just survive where you're at? And next week, join us. Come back for Thriving in Babylon week two. We'll see you next week.